Well, for the very first time, I get to say welcome to the harbor, friends. It's, it's good to have all of you here. It seems it wasn't that long ago, 19 years back, I stood in a living room before a, a small crowd, although crowd's probably a stretch for using that term, but, but I said welcome to Friendswood Community Church. And looking around, a lot has changed in 19 years in that time. But some things haven't changed. We started that very first Sunday. We had this mindset that we wanted to do all we could for people to actually to see Jesus for who he is and have the best chance to get to know him and trust him and love him and follow him. And so our mindset was if we saw a barrier that we were creating between us and, and someone seeing Jesus, we would try to take the barrier down. So from the very beginning, we were, we were mindful about what kind of dress we would wear uh, so we wouldn't have barriers about just the kind of clothes we would wear. And we had um, our mindset about the kind of music we would use, trying to reach the crowd that God would have us reach. And so we were intentional about that. We were intentional about the words I would use in teaching. And I would try to avoid uh, all those, like, 26-letter seminary words that you have to pay 500 bucks for that no one understands. I would avoid those words. And so we've been mindful of that this entire run. And the weeks became months and months became years. And... We began, I think, the first Sunday, maybe Friendswood Community Church was made up of people from Friendswood Community, maybe, but it wasn't long before there were people from Alvin Community and Pearland Community and Webster and Kima and Dickinson and Santa Fe and Manville and on and on and on, and now uh, nearly half the people that attend here are not part of the Friendswood uh, City Community. And while many, many have come from these far reaches, it's not uncommon for someone to drive 30 minutes. We've heard story after story now from those of you that live beyond the boundaries of Friendswood that it's a barrier that we're called Friendswood Community Church. And it makes sense because if I were part of Alvin Community or League City Community or Manville Community and someone said, come with me to Friendswood Community Church, I would think, well, that's for the community of Friendswood. And, and that's not what I am. And so, so it became so clear this year that our name had become a barrier. And so with a lot of thought and prayer, we decided to change the name simply to bring down one more barrier that might keep someone from actually seeing Jesus and coming to, to know him and love him and follow him. And so we've said this often the last uh, several weeks now. We've said our first name, Friendswood Community Church, simply tells where we are. Friendswood Community is where we're located, but our new name, the harbor, tells who we are. So think with me about what a harbor is for a ship. If a ship is, is damaged and broken, a ship comes into a harbor to be restored, doesn't it? Or if a ship is, is low on fuel, it comes into the harbor to be refueled. And after it's been restored and refueled, it's returned back to sea where it's meant to spend most of its time at, at sea. And so for 19 years, we recognize that, that what God's been doing is there have been battered, bruised, and broken people that have come to the harbor, and God has restored them here. And there have been people that have been weary and tired and worn, and God has refueled them here. And in the process of restoring and refueling, he's returning them back to their daily life with Jesus at the very center of it. And so the harbor is actually who we've actually been for 19 years now. So I want to take today and the next five weeks, and I, I want to teach about exactly how it is that God restores someone that's battered and bruised and broken. And I want to teach about how, someone ref, how God refuels someone that comes weary and tired and worn. 
And then I want to teach about how God returns us to a daily life with Jesus at the, at the center. And so we'll run through December 18th, right after Christmas Eve, teaching on this. And I'll start with this, this very first piece of it, this restore piece. And I want to take today and next Sunday and teach about how God actually restores us if we're battered and bruised and broken. And I'm sure all of us could think in a heartbeat about, about some people in our past or maybe in our present that have actually battered and bruised and wounded us. All of us have that. But I'm not going to speak about those wounds today. I'm going to teach about that next Sunday. I'll teach about how God restores us when other people have battered us and bruised us and wounded us and damaged us. But I want to talk today about, about the self-inflicted damage and wounds and bruises that we cause. And some of them I think we would think of readily in, in a heartbeat if, if you or I were to choose to... Um, I started to say cut corners, but let me just call it what it is, like to cheat on taxes. And especially if we were to get caught, we would recognize that that we caused a self-inflicted blow, right? If we did that. Or maybe if you or I chose to tell just a few white lies, they seemed pretty innocent. It seemed to cover up stuff that didn't need to be uncovered. But someone that we, we care about learned that we had lied to them. Then there's this blowback and there's this self-inflicted damage, isn't there, that we've done. Or probably all of us at one time or another have blown up and lost our temper at someone that matters. In fact, that's usually who we do it with most, isn't it? Someone that matters. And recognize we not only wounded them, but we wounded ourselves in, in the loss and the gap in the relationship. Or maybe we would recognize maybe um, a drink or two of alcohol is now it's out of control now. Or maybe it was a drug that was just an experiment now has this frightening grip upon one's life. But there's so many aspects we could look at and recognize that that we, we have a lot of self-inflicted damage, a lot that we have caused ourselves. But I think we don't know the half of it. I think we don't know the half of it. And so this is what I want to do. I want to take, um, I want to take, I would call it the story of our lives. I'm going to take this overarching story that the Bible tells and, and talk about how it actually is a story of our lives. And it's intended to be a three-part story. And I know this, I know all of us in this room have at least two parts of the story, I know that, but it's intended to be a, a three-part story. The first part is this, the first part is, is made in God's image, made in God's image. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it's the very first book of the Bible, it's telling about how God created the earth, and it gets toward the end of the chapter, it begins to talk about him creating the very first people, Adam and Eve. And that's where he says in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is true for you as well. You've been created in the image of God. And God doesn't say this about anything else in creation. It's just human beings. You've been created in the very image of God. And there's a lot that we could say about what that means. I want to hit three key things this morning. It means that that you and I are spiritual beings, you're a spiritual being. In other words, no matter how much you begin to understand about your physical makeup and how you're made physically, if you were able to understand your entire DNA code and have it all spelled out for you and understand all of it, if you could map all of your brain waves and, and know how to pattern those, you still wouldn't have the full, complete picture of who you are because you're not just a physical being, you're a spiritual being. There's this other dimension apart from the physical that you are. In fact, it's the most prominent and most important part of who you are. You're a spiritual being. Second thing is, is that you, you and I are moral beings. 
we're capable of understanding what is right and what is wrong. We're capable of understanding what is good and what is evil. We're capable of making choices, of making moral choices. And with Adam and Eve, if you look at their life for at least the first good run, maybe a long run in Genesis 1 and 2, this is, if you'd allow me to use this as, as an illustration, I mean, they had this long run with always making the right moral choice. It, like their life was white as snow, not a single sin. And by sin, I mean not a single disobedience of God. Or by sin, I mean not a single time of, of opposing God's ways and, and God's word. Not a single time. There was this run, maybe a long, long run. You look at their life, and, and it, was, it was white as, as snow, not a single sin. We, we are moral beings as they were. We are moral beings as well. And finally, we are relational beings. We are relational beings created in the image of God. Relation matters enormously to the God of the universe. Relationship to him matters enormously. And we look at Genesis chapter 1 and we find out that that the relationship that Adam and Eve had mattered so much to God that that they would have the benefit of relationship, this, this horizontal, if you will, relationship with each other. But even more importantly, they had this they had this personal, intimate relationship with the God of the universe. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it has this phrase in there. It says that, that God uh, was walking in the cool of the day in the garden. And he was talking about how he normally would, um, would have this intimate relationship with them. And it didn't mean he was walking physically with shoes on, but it was trying to convey that, that there was this very personal, very real relationship. It wasn't just a case of them recognizing, okay, we're people, there are two of us, there's a God somewhere, he made us. They, they had this live relationship with the God of the universe. Okay, we, we, are all, we are all relational beings intended for relationship, okay? So, so that's the first part of the story, and, and that's true of all of us. It, you, right, you've been made in the very image of God, the highest image that you could ever dream of. You've been made in his image. Part two, I would simply title part two for us, is, is damaged by sin. And Adam and Eve's story unfolds, and I said there was this, perhaps long run without a single time of disobeying God. And in fact, it, it, it wasn't, honestly, I don't think it was that hard back then because they were in this garden, this perfect garden, and there are only two of them. And God actually said, there's only one thing you're not allowed to do. With the two, there's only one limitation. He said, there's this one tree and just don't eat the fruit of this one tree. Everything else, it's all, it's all open season for you. And at some point in time, they, somehow they looked at that and they said, God's holding out. That tree has to be the best tree. He's holding out on us. And so they um, disobeyed God, and they had, there was this one single sin that created this flaw, this fracture in their lives. And the outcome of that, you can see for the very first time, you can see the, the self-inflicted wound because for the first time they felt shame in their life. They never felt that before. All of us have felt that, haven't we? And for the very first time, there's this wounding, this damage of shame in their life. And then it says that then they committed their second sin. They began to blame each other for what had happened. And as they blamed each other then, then rather than leaning closer toward each other, they pushed away from each other. And there was this second damage of this damaged relationship that they experienced then. So there was, this, there was damage to them, but that wasn't nearly the worst of it. The worst of it was 
They'd had this intimate relationship with God. And it was completely severed by one single sin. It was completely lost. No surprise because God had told them that. He had said to them, you've got all of this stunning planet. Do anything you want but one thing. But he said, if you, if you disobey what I tell you, you will die. And man, there's so much wrapped in what he said there. He meant you'll die spiritually. In other words, you'll lose the relationship with me. That's gone. The day will come you'll die physically. It meant uh, your joy will die. Your peace will die. Relationships will begin this death. And there's so much wrapped up in that. But, but that one single fracture, one single flaw, one single mark on their life had this cascading effect upon their life on and on. And then Scripture would unfold and and it wasn't just Adam and Eve, but we're definitely the heirs of Adam and Eve. It would say in Romans 3.23, it would say, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Any argument with that? At first service, I asked, and there wasn't a single person that said, like, I'm the exception. I've never sinned. We all know that, don't we? There's no, it's not new information. We all know that. If you've been around this church for a few of the 19 years, you've heard me talk about two people I admire so much. I talk often about... Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. And, and I tell you how much I admire their lives and how they lived out their lives. And partly because they were perhaps two of the most uh, scrutinized individuals in the last century. I mean, they were, they were examined by so many people so deeply. They were on, on the stage all the time. It seemed 24-7. And yet we look at their lives and compared to my life, they did it really well. They did it really, really well. And maybe compared to yours, they did it really well. But more than anyone... Billy Graham and Mother Teresa said, I have all of these sins, and, and, and there's, there's this problem with God because of my sin. Now, they went on to talk about the solution to that, but, but they said that. And so this is reality for us. God says, actually, uh, we're the heirs of Adam and Eve, and he says, we actually got this one little fracture. Uh, we inherited that from them, but, but if you or I cut the corners or cheated on expense account or taxes or maybe much worse than that, then there's this sin that begins to stain and mark up our life. And if you and I uh, tell what maybe is a white lie or two or three, and maybe it grows more than that and gets more and more complex, then this becomes sin that scars and stains and wounds our life. And then if you and I explode with anger to, to anyone, um, especially those that we love, then there's more of that. And maybe on top of this, maybe, maybe there are some addictions or some sexual addictions, and you begin to recognize this is, this is doing deep damage now. Or maybe it's alcohol addictions or drug addictions or something. Uh, the list could go on and on and on and on. But this is what, this is what God says, and this is reality. This, like, this is a picture of my life. And this is a picture of your life as well. And, and I know what I've at least what I used to do a whole lot, and you probably used to do it or to do it as well, and you're thinking, well, if this is my life, there are a bunch of other people that look a lot worse than this. Like, let me tell you, because I know some, if, if this is mine, I found myself thinking back, back to the old days, and I, w- I would think there's bound to be an axe murderer on death row at Huntsville, okay? I look pretty good. His is all black. I look pretty good. But, but this is the reality, and, and we, we know at least to a degree, we know some of the damage we've done to ourselves, but, but that's not the massive problem. If the massive problem is we were made for relationship with God, 
not just to know there is one, not just to know he's someplace. We're made for relationship with God, and, and we only live and thrive in relationship with him. And we only have, beyond this life, we only have this sustained relationship into this eternity uh, with him in heaven, with relationship. And that's, that's the massive problem, and, and, it's, and it's true for all of us. All of us, all of us, once made in the image of God, but all of us so badly damaged by sin. I mean, self-inflicted damage by sin. But there's a part three to, to the story, and it's God's intent that this might be true for all of us. And I would call part three restored to God's image. And there's a, there's a portion of this that is it's God's part in this, and, and I, I want you to get a glimpse of God's heart for us, because he's not content for a single person to stall at part two and, and live in this you know, life that's already been self-damaged in this life. Of part. He's, not, he's not content for anyone to live there. So I'm going to take a few passages from the Old Testament, all of which were written before Jesus actually came to the planet. And God's expressing his heart for us, his heart for you, his heart for me. One of the places is Isaiah 44, 26, where he says, I will restore all your ruins. I will restore all your ruins. And he's speaking specifically in that moment to the nation of Israel. And some of the passages I'll give you, to, he speaks to Israel or to Jerusalem. But if you look at the context of Scripture, he very accurately, he's speaking to you and me. He's, and this, this could be huge news if you're sitting there thinking, there's some ruins in my life. There's some portions or maybe the bulk of it. There's some ruins. He's saying, I will restore all your ruins. And then another place in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, God is speaking through the prophet Hosea, and he says, in just a short time, he will restore us so we may live in his presence. There's this promise of God saying, I'm going to fix that problem that has separated us. I'm going to fix that problem so we can, we can, you can live in my presence again. And then another one, Joel chapter 2, verse 25, and, and Marie, my wife and I have experienced this one so much in our lives. He says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. And I say that because I know that a number of us in this room are thinking, well, if I were to, to find myself restored to the image of God today, that would be wonderful. But there's so much damage already done. There's so much loss. And this promise is, this promise is I'm going to take and I'm going to restore and redeem some of that loss. And for Marie and I, so many circumstances he's done that. I mean, so much it looked like it was, it was wreckage, and it was. He's restored. It's a promise of God. And then this is my favorite one that I'll give you today. It's Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. This is what God says. For I know the plans I have for you. There are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. So all of that, in fact, the bulk of the Old Testament is just expressing God's heart and desire for the time that his son Jesus would come. And so Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we're approaching Christmas, and so you know much of the Christmas story. So Matthew 1, 21 is written about the time. It's just months before Jesus' birth. And so Mary is this, um, she's this engaged young lady. 
and she's been morally pure, and by this stunning miracle of God, she becomes pregnant. She's engaged to this man named Joseph, and Joseph is really disturbed. He's trying to understand if this is a miracle or not and all. And this angel, another miracle, this angel appears to Joseph, and this is what the angel says. It says, you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he's going to save people from their sins. He's going to save people from, from the wreckage and the outcomes of all this. So Jesus comes. He grows up and spends many of his first 30 years as this carpenter. At 30, he begins his public ministry and begins to teach as no one has ever taught and do miracles as no one has ever done. And on a given Friday, he allows himself to be nailed to a cross. And he dies on this cross, and he had told before, and he told afterwards, he said, I'm I'm doing this because I'm going to pay the price for every single sin of humanity. I will pay the full price of every sin for humanity. And then two days later, he rises from the dead and comes back to life again. And for 40 days, he appears to his followers again and again and again, and then ascends to heaven. And then there's this very first public proclamation after Jesus ascends to heaven. It's recorded in Acts 2.38. And it begins to unfold, okay, God's part was sending his son Jesus, and Jesus dying for every sin and rising from the dead and saying, I've come to give you forgiveness and new life. That's God's part. Then this is our part. And this is what the apostle Peter says in that first proclamation of how we can be made right with God. Acts 2.38. Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me break it down. Each of you must repent of your sins. Uh, To repent means to, to turn around, to do a 180. So that means coming to a point of recognizing I've been, I've been doing my own life. Like I've been captain of the ship. I've been making all my decisions, and I recognize I've, I've committed a lot of sins. But, but I don't want to go there anymore. I want to turn 180 and turn from any and all of those sins. And, and the prayer that comes with that part of repenting is to say to Jesus, the one that, that died and rose for you, to say, forgive me. Please forgive me. And to say, my heartbeat is, I don't want to continue doing things that cause damage, which is what sin is, things that cause damage. I want to turn from all of them with your help. Would you forgive me? And then it goes on and says, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, what that means, and I could unpack a bunch of verses for you, but I'll shortcut it. What it means to turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus, is to say to Jesus, I want to... I want to immerse my life under your leadership. Uh, to say, up until now, I've been captain of the ship, and, and I don't want to continue that way any longer. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to follow your leadership. I want to become your follower then. And so where the first prayer was, was forgive me, the second prayer is lead me. Would you lead me? And if, if and when someone takes that step then this is God's final part of it. In, in that moment that someone authentically says, would you forgive me and lead me, let me begin a new life, then God completely forgives every single sin. And, and this is your life. This is your life. 
And he says, because now, because I've forgiven all of it, now you're, you're sinless and spotless. And now this, there's a relationship with me that has ignited and come alive. Now there's this personal, intimate relationship with me and with my son Jesus now. And then he says, and, and in, this, in this transaction of a moment that's begun a new beginning for you, you actually will have a new life given from me. One of my favorite truths of Scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. At, at this church, there have been somewhere well beyond 1,200 people who have come to a place and, and have had, as they've attended this church, have come to a moment to say to Jesus, I don't want to do it the old way anymore. And, and in a moment of authenticity, has said, I wanted all the change now. Would you forgive me and lead me? And, and they have begun a new life, and I'll unfold for a few moments um, what this looks like. But before I do, of the 1,200 plus, I want you to, to hear just a small portion of a story of one of the 1,200. Brad Betcher, two years ago about this season, two years ago this season, was, was sitting here. And uh, this is Brad's story. I guess growing up, to stay out of trouble, mostly um, I played sports, every sport you could think of. My, my father was an alcoholic. He uh, didn't always drink, um, and when he didn't drink, he was a great guy, but when he did drink, um, he was a completely different person. And it was really only through sports that I connected with my dad. Sports really became my life at that point. I kind of drowned myself in sports, and spe- specifically baseball. So I, I made it through high school, um, was actually... Uh, fortunate enough to have some scholarship opportunities um, and was actually drafted by the Red Sox out of high school. And um, I passed up that opportunity because I had opportunity to go to school. But about uh, three weeks before our regular season started, I actually hurt my back. And that was the first time in my life I'd ever had like a serious injury. And so I ended up losing my scholarship there. And I think I was having a really hard time dealing with not being um, at at the top anymore, just kind of being middle of the pack. The baseball team in particular were a bunch of partiers and, um, you know, so we went out and we, we drank on the weekends and I started smoking pot pretty heavily at that point and woke up. I was high till, till the time I passed out. And I had actually met a girl when I was at Grand Canyon University and we got married. Um, I still continued to smoke every day and to drink every day. And that went on for probably six or seven years. I thought everything was okay. I was kind of numb to everything that was going on around me. Um, she, she had been having an affair, never really knew, but she, she left one day and you know, basically said that it was over. Um, so I think that was probably rock bottom for me. That was really the first time um, in my life that I had really reached out to God. Um, I had decided that you know, it was time for me to start over. Um, I had actually um, met uh, somebody when I was down here, um, so I moved moved down to Pearland. I continued to date uh, the girl. Her name is Ashley. We ended up um, getting engaged and and getting married. Early on, Ashley uh, made it pretty clear that going to church and uh, and being involved in church was important to her. FCC was really the first church that I had ever gone to uh, where it wasn't a bunch of perfect people. It was 
a bunch of real people. We were sitting one Sunday and we heard about small groups and you know a couple days later we got a phone call like hey you know we're starting a small group uh, we'd like you guys to join it. It was it was obvious to me soon after we got there that that there was something different about this. We had, had been asked to uh, if we would sign up for Catalyst and I was just blown away by the amount of love and the closeness that I felt to Jesus at that point. It was at some point between um, that that small group and and going to Catalyst. It was during that season that I gave Jesus control of my life. It was abundantly clear at that point that uh, I need fellowship and I need to um, have people around me. There was always such a genuine authenticity here. I look back now at um, my life before Christ and it's amazing um, it's amazing that I got here. The harbor is has completely changed uh, the way that I had viewed church, the way that I had viewed Christianity. It was definitely influenced by what I saw here, how I saw um, people living their lives here. The harbor for me uh, was no doubt where um, where Christ met me and, and saved my life and truly became my Lord. I've gotten to know Brad the last two years now. In fact, last weekend, Ree and I were helping a number of folks actually lead a, a marriage weekend called Infusion, and Brad and Ashley were there. We got to serve side by side them, and Brad would readily tell you, and Ashley would, and others that know him well would tell you that, that before he began to follow Jesus, uh, trying to carry the weight of being the captain of the ship caused uh, such stress and such anxiety, and uh, part of his story now is that there's so much peace. There's just this stunning peace. The damage of stress and anxiety is gone because the one who was meant to be captain of the ship is captain of the ship. Um, this, is, this is what happens when we begin to follow Jesus by, by that, that single prayer that launches the new life of forgive me and lead me. Sin has been the problem all along, and sin doesn't instantly end in our lives. And so we begin to follow Jesus, and, and we still sin. And a bunch of you know me, and you would be the first ones to raise your hand and say, I still sin. And Marie, above all others, would say that, I'm sure. We still sin, but there are a couple things you need to know that, that make a massive difference is we sin just like before, but this time Jesus is coming right behind it and, and erasing and forgiving the sin as it even unfolds out of this stunning love for us. And he's doing that because he doesn't want the relationship with himself and God the Father with us and, and, and him and God the Father to be severed. And so he, he continually forgives and forgives and forgives, which is a huge gift. Otherwise, we'd have one of these fractures, and, and that would be it all over again. And so there's this continual forgiveness, but it gets even better than that. As we, as we give him leadership, he begins to help us abandon our sins. And the way it happens usually is, one, a sin that was very frequent becomes less frequent and then very infrequent, and then history, sin after sin after sin. And here at the harbor, we've seen every sin under the sun become history. And uh, there are, there's a room full of stories of people that could say, this, this was one uh, that had me by the throat. 
This is one I thought I would never be able to abandon. Uh, I mean, the worst of addictions and on and on and on. Um, but the stories are that, and usually it's not, in, it's usually not a miracle in a moment. Usually it's, it's following Jesus and, and it's, it's fading, 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 gone. And, and it's the sin that's caused the damage, right? Uh, there, I, I talked to a friend, a good friend, after the first service, and, and his, his biggest damage was this temper and this anger that would explode and spew all over his wife and his kids and friends and everything. And I got to talk to him, and his story of the last 18 months has been, that is history. And all the damage that was done is not being done any longer. There's this, there's this transformation that Jesus brings about. Made in God's image. That's true of you. It's true of every one of us in here. Made in God's image. It's true. Damaged by sin, true of me, true of you, true of every single person, true of all of us, true of all of us. Restored to the image of God, is that true of you now? And, and many of you, it is. Many of you, and I know some of the stories, many of you, there was a time that, that you said, please forgive me and lead me, and you've begun this authentic life of following Jesus. And, and for you, you have been restored to the image of God. And there's this relationship, and he's changing you and transforming you. That's true. But I'm sure, because this is true every Sunday, and I love this about, about the church God's created. To be every Sunday, there are many people that aren't there yet. And some of you are thinking, I, I, I've lived out part one, part two, but not part three. And the truth is, God brought you here for this very thing. He brought you here to, for you to hear how much he loves you, how much he understands you, how much it doesn't matter what your sins have been and are, or how many or how bad, it doesn't matter. His love covers that. His son has already died for that. He's risen for that. There's a real relationship with him in the waiting. And he's brought you here to find that relationship. And some of you, you're, you're far enough down the road to enter that relationship even now. I'm going to pray in a moment, and it'd be an easy time for you quietly between you and God to say, I I want that restoration. Jesus, would you forgive me and lead me? Many of you, you're far enough, and he brought you here for such a time as this. Some of you aren't far enough yet, and God knows that. God's good with that. You've heard this, and something's stirring, but you know we're near the point of being able to say, "I, I want to abandon my life and follow him. You're not there and, and if that's the case for you, then I would say just, just he wants you to keep coming back and exploring and seeing more and more and more. Those of you that you know your life is restored because there's this life with Jesus, what I, what I hope will happen after I pray and, and we have this song that unfolds before I speak briefly at the very end of this, is that if, if you've begun this new life with Jesus, you would be in awe at how much he loves you and, and the life he's given you and the sins that are history and the future that's ahead. I hope you'd be in awe and worship him. And then I hope some of you would actually whisper that prayer in this time and say, uh, this is my day. Forgive me and lead me. Made in the image of God. Damaged by sin. But God's journey is that's not the end of your life story. Restored to the very image of God by Jesus. Father in heaven, Thank you for loving us so very, very much. Thank you for being willing to pay such a high price that we could actually have a relationship with you 
that it wouldn't have to be something distant where we know you're out there somewhere. It can become a real, vibrant, authentic relationship. A relationship between two intelligent beings, one infinitely so and one much, much less, but a real relationship. Um, thank you for the way you, as we follow you, Jesus, that you help us um, put our sins in the rearview mirror. Thank you for that, for the real change that you bring. And, and now, Father, for, for the ones that in this moment are at a point of saying, I want that life, uh, I pray for them especially as they're saying, would you forgive me and lead me, that, that they realize uh, the transaction, the new life that's begun. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.